0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Scott Shoot, who sits at the intersection of ancient wisdom traditions and the business world. Scott led mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn. After 25 years of customer-oriented leadership roles, he found his dream job where he utilized his entire skill set and embraced his passions. Now Scott is a free-range chicken, love that, as he describes it, and works with companies and leaders to explore the possibility of human potential, helping employees become the best versions of themselves. And there's a question that we're definitely going to have to jump into that really just caused me to push my chair back, and it was, how can I be successful at work and also be a good person. Love it. Welcome Scott.
1: Thanks very much. Glad to be here.
0: We're gonna have a fun chat. I always always get excited doing the research uh, for these conversations and and while I was doing it for for our conversation I was like hell yeah like yes this is good. So (laughs) those are always at least for me good signs that uh, we're, we're definitely vibing on the same wavelength. Um, just to kick things off, Scott, just, you know, I just want to ask you, uh, you know, who are you? you know, what, how would you define yourself in, in today's, uh, realm? Cause I know that evolves as, as we evolve as humans.
1: Sure. Who am I? Wow. I think fundamentally I am a seeker, right? Mm. A, a seeker of truth, a seeker of the divine. And then in today's context, like, how does that show up? Uh, well, this this I think I'm soul wrapped in this personality of Scott, you know, the mind, body, and emotion that, the personality that makes up Scott. And right now, Scott is uh, I'm a free range chicken.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where'd that come from?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you know, I don't know. I grew up on a farm, right? So I have okay. this kind of farm vernacular. But I love the idea that you know, I've I've kind of left the nine to five or the seven thirty to seven type of jobs. And I get to do what I want now. And so I'm a, I'm a coach and a consultant and I do speaking and that kind of stuff. But I'm a lover of life is really what it's about. I get to do the things I really love and I am incredibly grateful for that.
0: Amazing. Well, I mean, just being a lover of life, I, I can't help but notice, I mean, people are, are listening to this. We have video for for this conversation. In the background, there's some beautiful photography hanging on the walls it's true and also in a beautiful guitar as well so there's there's definitely you know some some art in your world and as a photographer myself uh for me it actually i think was the starting point or introduction to being more present and mm-hmm. probably introduction to mindfulness from over a decade ago i really only started to realize that maybe th- 3 to 5 years ago but um so i wanted to ask you you know for for you for your, your photography, what has that, you know, what has that opened up for you when it comes to whether it's mental fitness or mindfulness Mm -hmm. or the work that you're doing right now? Is there
1: a link? I think so. Um, I do landscape photography, right. And to be a great landscape photographer, and I'm still working on that requires a, a bunch of things. First, there's an appreciation for sunrise and sunset, Right almost yes. all good landscape photography happens at crazy hours of the day at least in the morning and so you have to get to these places you know before the sun comes up or you have to stay until the sun goes all the way down to get the best light so it takes a commitment there's a technical aspect of really understanding how to use your camera and how to do the post processing and how to like there's it's really it's technical so there's this this deep kind of learning experience and then there's the you yourself it's the it's the looking at nature and the appreciation for nature in my case doing nature photography and thinking about the beauty of it and and to me it's this alchemy of the three things together that's quite exciting right and when I'm finally there, when you've when I've managed to get myself at this remote spot at 545 in the morning, and you're just waiting, not knowing what's going to happen, that's where the magic is, right? I, th- I, I tell true. people it's like fishing. Fishing is you're going to get up early. Maybe you're with your friends. You don't know if you're going to catch anything or not, but you're still going to have a good time because you're out in this beautiful place. And photography for me is exactly the same way.
0: I love it. Love it yeah i can't help you know when i think of photography it's just it it's been this gift of always seeing a photo somewhere right like you can't walk down a street or be in nature and not see composition or the yeah. angle or the light and it's just been such a beautiful gift to 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 have that you know part of your day-to-day yeah what is that um,
1: even even uh, sorry to no no go for it even when i can't travel to some beautiful national park or beautiful place i'll take the macro lens and the macro lens is the thing that allows you to get really 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 close on things and just go for a walk with the dog in the neighborhood and take these super close up pictures of flowers hmm. or, or whatever now <laughs> i have to kind of watch myself because sometimes you find yourself in somebody's front lawn you know leaning <laughs> over their flowers and your giant camera's pointing right at their front window and you know, I always have a story ready, but uh Yeah. <laughs> my, my point is no matter where you are, no matter where we are, there's beauty. There's beauty all around us. It's just looking at it in that way. Yeah.
0: So Scott, when did when did the whole world of mindfulness and a lot of the, you know, the practices that you have in check for yourself personally and that you also teach, you know, teams and organizations, like when did that really make itself uh present or or, yeah. or show up in your world?
1: I started early. I started when I was 13. I developed okay. a I would call it a contemplation or a spiritual exercise practice when I was 13. I started teaching in college. Uh, and it's been a huge part of my life ever since. But at work, where kind of blending these two worlds together was about seven or eight years ago, I was at LinkedIn as the my day job, I was the VP of Global Customer Operations, right? This really yeah. pretty big job, right? I had a thousand people on my team. It was one of those, you know, 24 by 7 types of jobs. But I thought maybe this is a place where I can finally bring this practice to work because I found LinkedIn to be such an open, you know, and and be- the type of place you can belong to. You can really be yourself, Right. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, I started by leading one practice on a Thursday afternoon, you know, in the, get this, the heavenly conference room, which I thought (laughs) was quite auspicious. And that first time there was one one dude there, (laughs) just me (laughs) and him. And, you know, I'm sure he was just as terrified as I was because I never saw him again. Yeah. But then it turned into a regular thing. You know, the next week there were three and then five and then People knew that I did it. So I'd get invited to these bigger things. Eventually like the CFO would have a, some sort of finance summit with 400 people and I'd kick it off with a 10 minute meditation. And that just snowballed into eventually I created a full-time job out of it. The, well, the tipping point for me was our CEO, Jeff Wiener, a CEO at the time gave the commencement address at Wharton almost four years ago now. And he talked about compassion Mm. and then You know, if you're going to be successful in work or in life, be compassionate. The next day he's on TV. And this is all the reporters want to talk about is compassion. And I was thinking, okay, it's time, right? It's time for me to invest my whole career in this. But it's also time for LinkedIn to invest in it. Because essentially, our CEO just told all of our 15 or 16,000 employees that compassion was the most important thing that they could do. But, you know, what were we doing? Like, what does it even mean? How do we codify it? Yeah. So I made a pitch to him and the head of HR and we created this role, head of mindfulness and compassion programs, which I had for three years.
0: Amazing. Well, yeah. you know, I've noticed because I've been fortunate enough to uh, to have a few people from LinkedIn on the show. I think one of our mutual connections, Perry Monaco, oh, Right. Yeah. when the show first started, he was on and at that time, it was probably before you uh, created your your role but he had shared. He said the, I think it was the same CEO had had shared the his home screen of his phone, like his most popular apps, and it was the the Tesla app, LinkedIn, obviously, and then there was Headspace. Yeah. And and for Perry, I remember him. He he shared. He said, you know, that was that was the tipping point for him. He's like, what is this all about? Like, there's, you know, if that's one of his most popular apps, like, I need to dive in, and and I'm pretty yeah. sure. I don't know what it looks like today, but I know at one point Headspace was available to the whole team as a, as an offering. Um, and I've since been on a couple LinkedIn shows as well, just talking about mental fitness yeah. and, and so sure. forth. So it's exciting to see you know, leadership take take interest uh, in the importance of this work. But I'm curious from your perspective, since you're working with a lot of these companies, like what are the entry points? You know, like where are we at right now? Because I remember when I was in in the healthcare space, it was very much still uh, show stats around productivity and and yeah. uh, employee retention and you know less sick days. I feel like that has changed a bit, but we're still not there
1: yet. We're still not quite there, and this this is this is the work, right? This is my yeah. I spend my time convincing the C suite to invest in this type of stuff. So. Over the last couple years, sort of the pandemic, and honestly, increasing before then, we see very front and center the mental health and mental well-being challenges that we all have, right? The CDC will tell us about a third of Americans are suffering from uh, symptoms of anxiety or depression. Workplace survey says 83% of people at some point are feeling emotionally drained and burned out. And for me, most disturbing is that one in nine or 11% of Americans in the last 30 days seriously thought about taking their own life. Man. Yeah. One in nine. That's that's
0: a lot.
1: That's a lot. Right. So, so usually the people I talk to already get it. They, they see it, their teenage daughter or their, they themselves, they're, they're surrounded by it. And everybody knows somebody who's struggling and it's not hard to make the leap between like, Oh, well, in this day and age, like our employees are the most important asset that the company has, right? A company like LinkedIn, we don't have hard goods. We're not selling cars or copper. It's the people we're selling data. Mm. So, if think about it, if you had if you ran a factory and your most important machine in the corner was grinding away, but it was working at like fifty or sixty percent of its capacity because it wasn't quite right, would you yeah. want to invest in it to make it better? Uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah, great example. Or or what really gets me is like people, look, you ask where people are. People are still a bit hesitant about meditation because for some, they see it as, oh, that's some sort of Buddhist thing or some sort of Eastern thing or some sort of religious thing or spiritual thing. And we've got some work to do to kind of separate the secular learnings that we have from the, yes, the spiritual traditions. I think of it like this, you know, there are, there are people who run marathons or ultra distance runners, right? And they know all about their diet and the scientists have dug in and studied their bodies and they know exactly what's going on. And some of that research trickles down into People Magazine or USA Today, right? It's like, Hey, here's how, here's the things that you can eat, or here's some running things that you can do. That's good for you. And I can take advantage of that as a super casual runner who runs 10 times a year. I can learn from that. Now, I have no intention of being an Olympic or world-class marathoner, but I appreciate all the things that they've learned to pass down some simple things that I can learn. And in the same way, we have Olympic-level you know, meditators, yeah. monks or people who spent time in a monastery or people like me who have dug in. And we have this wisdom to share that's avail- available and valid for everyone, regardless if you care, you, you might not care about enlightenment or even think about it in that way. But if you just want to reduce your anxiety, okay, well, here's three things that you can do. So part of it is reducing the stigma around, around meditation and like practices and realizing how beneficial it is for all of us to do.
0: It's a great point. It, it just, it makes me think of, it's really the, it, you're, you're right. It's really the narrative behind these practices, because what what, what I've noticed is that especially with meditation uh, over the years, I've found it's like people are coming out that they've been meditating yeah. for 15 years or something right. like that. I remember I was, I think I was listening to a podcast with Ray Dalio and uh, he was just starting to really talk about this practice he's had essentially for two decades and I remember thinking, "How are we just hearing about this stuff?"
1: You know like <laughs> right. these are
0: like core fundamental right. principles and practices in the lives of these these really you know uh successful and great thinkers right. and we're kind of just hearing about it right
1: It's a very for me, it was a very private thing so in my own journey, I started to practice along with my older brother and a sister. I started to practice at thirteen. And it was and is a spiritual practice. And it was different than the religion of my family, you know, okay. my parents. And so it was a very tense kind of thing. My, my parents thought that we had joined a cult. They wanted <laughs> yeah. to have us, thought that we should be deprogrammed. And we learned not to talk about it. We learned to, to hide mm. that or cover, right? And it was only until as an adult that I, you know, came out. Uh, that I was able to talk about, and it was really only until I was in my forties, and as a very successful person, that I felt comfortable talking about it at work. And a lot of people have similar, a similar, you know, inner conversation about it. They feel a sense of like, oh, this is my private thing. This is what I do, you know, in my most private space. Yeah. And now w- w- there's more of an umbrella of safety around it. There's more of an umbrella of norm around it where many people can say, oh yeah, I do that too. And they still may not feel comfortable. I have people that would say, hey, I'm really glad that you're offering it this work. I'm never going to do anything with you because I do stuff, you know, on my own, but I'm really glad you're offering it. Like that's (laughs) fantastic. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 It's encouraging. I mean, and obviously for, for us that are, that are in this space, I mean, it's only, it's only going to grow. And as more and more people find their entry point, and find to your point like that, that feeling of safety and, uh, you know, just an open space to, to, to jump in. Cause you know, I guess like my vision or, or hope I should say for, for the mental fitness space, which for me, that's just the umbrella that contains like mental health, mental performance, sure. mental resiliency and so forth. Um, will be, you know, discussed just as openly as, yeah, I'm going to go for a run before I, oh. I meet you for dinner or something like yes. that hello everyone i first wanted to say thanks for being here and i hope you're enjoying the show i wanted to let you know if you're interested i just launched the better questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15 minute opportunity to pause and think because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show.
1: I have a I have a tale to tell about this. Oh, please do. <laughs> so um, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot to do sometimes, so you make up your own entertainment. So a few years ago, I'm visiting my mom, and we went to this antique store in this little town that she lives in, and they had this stack of old magazines, old time and life magazines. And I was about to turn 50, and so I wanted to buy some magazines from 1969, my birth year, to see what the consciousness of the world of the people was like when I came into it. Great. I'm reading these magazines. Right. And of course, lots of articles about sending somebody to the moon. And in this magazine, you know, some things were really different. Like we had come a long ways. And I was struck by that. Like the articles about race and about gender, uh, those reporters would probably get fired today if they wrote the same article that was just commonplace. There were advertisements, like an advertisement for tobacco, for cigarettes. And the pitch man was a doctor, a medical doctor in a white (laughs) lab coat, talking about the benefits of nicotine in the afternoon. Like, wow. Okay, we've we've come a long ways. Okay, this is the – I'm setting the scene. In this same magazine, there's an article about a swim team from the Midwest somewhere, and they'd won a couple championships. So the reporter goes to see what is happening, like what's going on and the headline in this giant font is athletes subject themselves to self torture in order to win yeah. i'm like what what my what is happening like are they waterboarding is it electroshock therapy is it <laughs> i don't know some sort of opium I, what are they okay you know in 1969 what was so freaking weird they were lifting weights <laughs> It was strength training, right? So think about that. And and I didn't know this until I was reading this and kind of realized that physical exercise for fun is a new thing. Like our grandparents did not exercise for fun. They might have gone on a walk, but they did not have a Peloton. They didn't go to the gym. They didn't run. This is a new thing. Like only in the 70s and 80s did this really happen. And now we've evolved to this point where... Everybody knows, look, not everybody does it, but everybody knows that it's good for you and it's totally normal. And if you have a gym at work and you want your employees to be healthy, totally, totally normal. Now, I think mental exercise is on the same trajectory, but happening a lot faster. In the Mm -hmm. yes, you have these early adopters, just like the swim team from Iowa, you know, 50 years ago, you have these early adopters, but hopefully it doesn't take us 50 more years you know for every company in the world to have mindfulness offerings as part of their wellness program.
0: Yeah, I I I mean I'm hopeful to, uh, to that as well, but it's it's so funny. It's so it's <laughs> such a great story. It reminds me I when I was running Keo the the journaling app, uh, yeah. this would have been 4 or 5 years ago. Uh, I remember when it was we we're pitching for investment, the last slide I had on was this this photo of I think it was People magazine yeah. And it was, I think it was from the seventies. Jane Fonda and yeah. uh, who's the guy? Uh, he's still around. Day, the the Baywatch guy, like he was the star. Uh, <laughs> Hassel, Yes, yes, yeah,
1: him. Hasselblad. Yeah, something guy, right? like that.
0: Yeah. So the two of them were on the cover, and and the the they were jogging, and the yeah. headline was like, "Get ready, the latest trend <laughs> to hit the market." <laughs> right, you know, jogging. Right. And it was weird, right? It was this—it yeah. was this fringe activity. That's so right. It's, I That's think really. you know what. Probably in both of those stories and what you're sharing too, um, what's nice or is, is comforting is just to see, you know, when you're going back in history that, like, nothing's impermanent. Things are always evolving, and and we yeah. we are moving into a place. I think that is uh, beneficial, uh, especially as people are talking more and more about mental health for for one thing, but then everything else surrounding it. And there's so many, just like exercise, there are just so many different options, right? Just because you don't like running doesn't mean that you're not going to jump on spin bike or, right. you know, go hiking or, or whatever it is. Right. That's right. that's right. So,
1: and, and just like exercise, people say, you don't really ask, like, Hey, what's the best type of exercise I should do? I was thinking about exercising. Like you just naturally gravitate towards whatever it is running or cycling or some sort of sport. Well, the same is true with meditation. And I use that word kind of lightly because it's like everything that encompasses it. I mean, even just with meditation, there's a thousand different types of practices. You can go to Insight Timer, which is free. There's over 20,000 teachers on there. Just pick 10, you know, and just experiment. But even beyond meditation, there's, you know, there's things that look like meditation that aren't like just counting your breaths, you know, or or fishing. Or if you did it in a really, really mindful way, right, and you on purpose were trying to be present, there's things that people do naturally uh, that that achieve some of the same types of benefits. So it's just recognizing that these are practices that have been done thousands and thousands of years. And also, almost every single person is already doing something like it.
0: Yes. It's, I'm so glad you
1: said that. Moving from the unconscious to the consciously doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's such a such an important point. That's the whole point of this show, is to show, you know, uh just to interview so many different types of people in different worlds and industries and whatnot. Um just expose, like, oh look, he or she, like they're they're doing this. This might be your entry point or yeah. what it may resonate resonate with you, right? Right. Um, all right. I definitely pulled you down a a massive tangent. Um because I I I'd love to go back to I'd love to go back to some of the questions that you were reflecting on yeah. when you were making the decision to leave LinkedIn and go all in on this, this work. Cause sure. that's, I mean, that's a, for most people, that's a pretty big decision, yeah. pretty big leap. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So what kind of questions and, and what were you thinking about it during that time? <laughs> I mean,
1: Well, they were. What the hell were you doing, Scott? (laughs) Exactly. I think there are two kind of big transitions. The first was when I left the job of being VP of Global Customer Operations to being not a VP and head of Mindfulness and Compassion Programs. That was probably an even bigger leap because I was essentially signaling that my career in corporate America as a you know a quote serious executive I was putting I was kind of closing the door on that. And I was entering this whole new chapter, exploring what was possible. And so part of it was, I got to the point where I couldn't not do it. Okay. And I think for some people, like if anybody is 23 or whatever, just starting their career and they're like, Hey, I want to start a career as a poet or a musician or an artist. My advice to them is always like, look, follow your dream. And that's a tough road. So it needs to be the thing that you can't not do. Right. It has to be so strong in you that you're on fire with it, that you're going to blow through any adversity out there. So I've gotten to that point myself. It's like, I have to do this. Like this is this is now my calling. So there's this inner recognition. The second the second. Well, for me, this is it. Right. It it has been a calling that I've been aware of since I was younger that finally manifested when I was 18. I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, what to study in school or what to do next. And this one track, I was going to go get an engineering degree and join corporate America. And this other track, which was essentially 90 degrees or 180 degrees different, was I was going to move to New York and be a singer and follow my (laughs) spiritual bliss. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Much to my father's dismay, right? Yeah. And it felt like this, Literally a left turn or a right turn away from center, uh, totally different. Either I was going to sell my soul, you know, and to corporate America, or I was going to follow my spiritual bliss and it felt like black or white. And one day, and I couldn't decide. So I have this practice. So while I'm in practice one day, I'm doing my, you know, my contemplation. I kind of asked the universe, asked the divine, whatever word you want to call that. I'm like, dude, I don't know. What am I supposed to be doing here? Give me, give me a sign. Yeah. And I got this, what I call the full body yes, like just this answer, this knowingness. And it came along with this kind of intuition or message. And it was, maybe you can change work from the inside out. Dude, I'm Mm -hmm. 18. What am I supposed to do with that? So, but I got my engineering degree and I followed my nose. And then 30, 35 years later, whatever it is, I don't want to count a long time later, I'm here. Or I was at LinkedIn, and I felt like, oh, wow, I do have a chance. I do have an opportunity to change work from the inside out with what we're doing. with Because of all the things I'd learned in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and it finally came to the point where, okay, now I have the full force of this calling behind me. So for me, it was simplified into that. Okay. Like, do you see it as...
0: I feel like just just knowing you a little bit, and even in this conversation, that like it just had to be that way, yeah. And you know well, that, that that was the path, or do you, or do you wish like, Oh, I wish this like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Can't, w- would would have come you know fifteen years ago or something?
1: Well, th- there's several things. I mean, one is I'm changing work from the inside out because I have been a senior leader, right? Correct. If I had yeah. just been any 23-year-old off the street trying to teach meditation at work, nobody would have listened to me. Mm-hmm. But now I'm speaking to sales conferences. I'm speaking to leaders. I'm like, dude, I've done your job. I know, I know what that's like. And this can still happen. Yeah. So I have a lot more credibility because of my experiences. Now, here's, here's the other part of that. Had I done a hard right and gone to New York and been a singer or been a whatever, here's my belief. I believe that I would have ended up learning the same lessons just in a different context. Mm. Right. Cause I think that we come here to learn a set of, you know, to polish a certain set of skills or, you know, to become, to become more polished if you, if you will. And the context doesn't matter. Of course, there's probably a context that fits you a little bit better, but I think the workplace is just as valid of a place for spiritual or personal development as a monastery or backpacking across Europe, or being a musician, or whatever. It's just, you know, what fits you?
0: That's a great question. I'm going to write that one down. Uh, what fits you, or what am I supposed to be doing? What does your contemplation practice look like? You, you mentioned that a couple oh, yeah. times. Like, when sure. When do you typically do it? Let's, let's get real yeah. granular, practical on that.
1: Let's break it down. So what I would tell you is that during the pandemic, I've been a lot more regular and, and quote, good about my practice than in the many years before that, because I essentially traded commuting time for contemplation time. So I used to get up at whatever, 615 or 630, and then I'd have a 45 minute commute. Now I'm spending that commute time. I go outside. I live in California. So the weather's usually decent. I go outside these days. I'm bundling up because it's you know 38 degrees outside. But I sit under my big California oak. Okay. So first of all, this is this is important. Like it's a system. One yeah, of my favorite yeah. quotes is James Clear, Atomic Habits. It says, "Our lives do not rise to the level of our goals; they fall to the level of our systems." Yeah, so I think it's really important to put a system in place. So for me, my system is I actually go outside because if I try to do it while I'm in bed lying there, I just I just go back to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. so I go outside. Um, my primary practice is I actually use a mantra and I use the word okay. hue. Like some people use the word om. I use the word yeah,
0: hue. Yeah. And okay. so I'll do why? that
1: for why. Yeah. Is there, is
0: whatever yeah. you can try. I know mantras are very
1: uh, personal sure. usually, but, uh, this particular mantra, it's not a private mantra. It's a public mantra. It's been used by traditions throughout history. Uh, in my spiritual path, it's the, it's our primary one. It's okay. been used by lots of people and groups throughout history it's a charged word like om is also a charged word um but we believe and many people believe that this word hue is another name for the divine but also the sound of the divine so when i sing it it acts like a tuning fork for that deepest part within me the part of me that is divine okay so there's this first i start with this the singing of the hue maybe 10 or 15 or 20 minutes sometimes outwardly usually outwardly but sometimes it can be done just inwardly as well and then um when i feel like it then i might do some affirmations you know so if there's a problem i'm working on i might i might uh just contemplate that problem and see what's going on i might do some affirmations around the solve of that problem um and then before i end i do some declarations like you know, something like I declare myself a channel for good today, or something, like, something like that.
0: Declarations. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing that down because uh I've never I've never heard that described in that way, like declarations. Yeah. I, I mean it's it's such great priming for your mind for yeah. the day,
1: right? Yeah. If if you start the day by saying, Look, today I am gonna be a vehicle. For the divine, or a vehicle for goodness, or a vehicle for love, whatever you want to say, yeah. Yeah. Then everything you do that day is infused with this intention.
0: It's so powerful. The question I usually leave teams is just, how do I want? How do I want to show up today? One word. I mean, everyone has time for you know, as your coffee's brewing, or your tea, or your first cup of water. Pick your word, and to your point, like just setting that intention or or I like I like this language of declaration wow it's it's unbelievable how that can change your day that's right you know and and and, and borrowing from again you know James Clear he's been he's been on the show as well um, it's those tiny little practices that continue to stack right and you're 1% better uh, as as time goes and that adds up it compounds yeah it's powerful stuff like, that's what I love about mental fitness that, at least for me, doing everything possible to show that this stuff, A, is accessible. It's yeah. been around for, since the beginning of time. And it doesn't, like, whether it's talking to you, Olympians, billionaires, like, it doesn't matter who the person is. And you've been studying this stuff for, for decades. They're not super complicated things to do, no. right? You just no. need to figure out what works for you and be consistent with it.
1: That's right. It's not complicated. The workshops I do, the the book I wrote, the stories I tell, none of it's new. Yeah, just like James Clear, the quote I said, that's not new either. Archilochus yeah. said it 2,600 years ago. <laughs> exactly. But, but nothing, taking nothing away from James Clear, he wrote it in a way for our world, for our context. You know, we're talk, we're telling these stories in our context, based on our experiences of living in you know 2022, which is different than living you know in pre-bc greece yeah so so even though the wisdom has always been there each generation has to learn it once again
0: exactly well and that's where i think uh, for me with questions like it's not that a question is of more quality than than another it's the timing of the question in the Mm. right context yeah. right when you can layer in and we were you know, we were joking a little bit about the sommelier of questions yeah. um before we hit record but if you can time that question to a situation that it is where it's most impactful and for me that's when i was right. shutting down the app and you know looking at this dashboard of yeah. holy smokes we just reached like 90 million people my next step is hit delete from app store you know, that didn't feel <laughs> yeah. very good um but then all of a sudden I got to this question of, well, what do I really want for my life? Mm-hmm. And that was enough to, to, to pause slipping into a depression essentially and, sure. and, you know, come out the other side. Sure. But, you know, if you ask me that question right now, it's, it doesn't hold the same amount of weights, like more of a check-in, you know, that yeah. I'm on the, on the right path. That's So, true. yeah. I mean, I'm just sticking on questions. I'm, I'm curious, Scott, like, is there, is there one question that's been floating around in your mind the last mm-hmm. little while that's, you know, got you thinking, walking well, up I into think, the sky?
1: I think the question that's relevant to my work and me as a person is essentially, I always had this question in my mind, like, how can I be a good person? How can I be enlightened and also be a leader? Like, how do I, how, how do I be a hard charger? How do I do well at work? Yeah. And a way to simplify this is how do I balance my ambition with my inner peace and so th- this is the work that I'm doing. And I used to think that these were a black and white path. Like even my example of I'm going to go get an engineering degree and sell my soul to the man and join corporate America, or I'm going to yeah. follow spiritual bliss and be a singer. Actually, it's not one or the other. It It's fine. You can do both. You can have enlightenment. You can have inner peace and you can be a hard charger. You can be very demanding at work and be compassionate it's not they're not they're not different and this is this is where we get tripped up i was talking to a friend the other day and i was telling him about the stuff that i was doing and he's like you know i'm a i'm a little scared to meditate this guy is a senior vp he leads he leads a big organization in a company that you've heard of and he's like i'm a little scared to meditate because i don't want to become complacent like i think i'll lose my edge and we laughed and you know and i went on to talk about it. it doesn't it doesn't have to work like that. Yeah. Right? You you can have all of it. And for me, a story that goes along with this is, or kind of the example I use is, have you ever seen this Tibetan monks that make the sand mandalas? Mm-hmm. It, and if if you're listening, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go, go do a search on an internet search on sand mandalas. Anyway, they're these beautiful works of art made on a floor or sometimes a giant table. And they start with this outline. You know, it's usually a circle. And then for the next few hours or days or months, these monks will pour individual colored grains of sand into these little places. Right? And it takes forever. I mean, imagine the care. You can't you can't sneeze, you can't just like spill it, you know, blue into orange. <laughs> you're never gonna get those sands, you know.
0: <laughs> how do you get the blue yeah.
1: out of the orange when you're so it takes this? dedication and then when they're done at the end of the day you know a month later or whatever what do you think they do okay well if it was me I would totally shellac that thing and take some selfies and put it yeah, on the wall exactly and then Instagram it and tell everybody what i had done no that is not what happens they they sweep it up they destroy it essentially they sweep it up put it into jars and then go find a body of water and let it go and bless it now I think this displays all of it. We, we have a goal. We have our ambition in mind. And we, and we do everything that we can. We're so focused. We're so driven to get this thing done. But we're not driven about the result. We're driven about the process. Mm-hmm. Right? So the goal is I want to be the best executive I can be versus I want to be a CEO. Right? The goal is I want to be yeah. the best teacher I can be versus, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z. All we can control is what we can control and then we let it go. So I call it strive and let go. Strive and let go. And that's for me what makes sense of the world of how to do both things.
0: Love that. Well, and it's just a beautiful way to live without all of these expectations. And you can see this in relationships too, right? Like yeah. when you have, you know, heavy expectations. I encourage everyone listening, just think about the people most close to you in your your inner circle. Like truly you know answer the question like what expectations am i putting on my siblings my partner Mm. my friends my boss Mm. and you quickly start to see holy smokes like i'm almost sabotaging this relationship and no wonder when things go south or whatever it's 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 usually relation to some sort of expectation yeah versus if you could take that 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 approach to uh the impermanence, I guess, of, of how the monks are working through the process and, like, just right. really being in it. Like, it's just a beautiful way to live.
1: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to when you met relationships. It's like unconditional love. What, yeah. uh, uh, that's really, really hard. And the closer you get to somebody, often the harder it is because you have all this history and you have all these expectations. But if you were just there, if we are just there to love, then that's it. You know, it's it simplifies things greatly, but it's really hard. This is like black belt level.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, so speaking of that, because I want to respect your time, uh, do you have a do you have five to continue? Yeah. So? Yeah, okay. Sure. Um, I agree. There are certain areas in this work that 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 is black level, kind of black belt hard. Um, but the nice thing is we can all strive to get there. And it's never it's almost never ending, which is actually a beautiful thing in itself. But to get started, I mean, I'd love for you to, to describe a little bit more about your book because that's always a great entry sure. point. And then obviously your, your work um, to go even sure. deeper, uh, either one-to-one or with teams and so yeah. forth, just kind of yeah, expose people that. to what you're doing
1: uh, you know, today. Sure. Well, the book was my COVID project. You know, I, <laughs> and My process was every single day I'd go out and I'd, I'd do my practice and immediately come in and write. And so it's from that place, man. It's from a good place. Uh, It's called The Full Body Yes. uh, And the subtitle is Changing Your Work and Your World from the Inside Out. And it's this idea of, I I wanted to write a book about how to be compassionate. That's what I'm really Mm -hmm. interested in. Like mindfulness is development of self, but compassion is how we work together. And every company, you know, how they sell, how they build products, how they service, it's about compassion at the roots But how do we do that? And the book is essentially how we do that. It's, you know, 99% of compassion is first our own development. Because if we're a mess, you know, we're not going to be able to do anything for anybody else. Right? So it's fun. I tell a lot of stories. It's easily readable. Um, So anyway, that's the full body. Yes. And then the work I'm doing in the world is kind of blending these two worlds of the wisdom traditions and work. So I'm a keynote speaker, uh, I'm doing executive coaching, and I help, I help companies become more conscious, right? So I work with them on things like culture. And all of these challenges we're having because of the great, of the great reshuffle, people are rethinking about how they want to work and where, uh, and companies are trying to figure out how do we keep people, how do we create a great environment where people stay? And that's, that's the work I'm doing is, is putting more meaning back into the work making it be more of an environment where people want to be versus where they have to be.
0: What's, what's surprised you since really going all in on this, this work on, especially with consciousness, because yeah. just even saying consciousness, like for me, I mean, my, my triggers or, or senses spark, uh, thinking like, Oh, people are going to hear that word and be like, yeah, are uh, you about to take us on a silent retreat type thing? Cause we're not there yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because people have this idea of what I mean. And then when they get to know me, like, because I have these two parts, right? This deep kind of spiritual part, but also the super practical operations lens. And so I tell the stories in both ways. So I was, I was doing the keynote at a, a sales leadership conference a couple of weeks ago. And these are, you know, long-term professionals, so they're in there. A lot of white dudes, East Coast, you know, uh, button-down shirt and jacket type of thing. And my my age or older, right? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh wow, is my stuff going to play here? You know, is how's this going to go? <clears throat> and I did I did a talk and I did a workshop and you know whatnot. And we're on the bus afterwards. All of us. There's like 200 of us. We're on these buses headed to dinner. And this guy sits down to me. And he's like, he sits down next to me on the bus. And he's like, all right, you got me. I'm like, what, what, <laughs> what? He goes, well, <clears throat> when they introduced you, I thought, oh man, this is gonna be a load of you know what. <laughs> but he goes, I was listening, and then I was really listening, and then you got me, and then I did your workshop, and I'm, dude, I am all in. I am I am picking up what you're laying down. <laughs> That's amazing. And so, You asked what surprised me. What surprised me is people are ready. Yeah. If we find the language that fits them, people are ready. Right. So this is why it took me 30 years to get to this place is that I had to be in this world. I had to be, you know, in the world of business to speak the world of business. So anyway, people are ready.
0: I agree. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. I, I feel it as well uh, in, in my world, which highly intersects with yours, obviously. Uh, and it's comforting to, to see that. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to ask you one final question. And it's just simply, you know, what
1: makes you smile each day? What makes me smile? <laughs> so many things make me smile. I, mean, I, hope, I hope that the answer is from the inside out. It's just this joy But, you know, if I name some things, my family, my relationships, nature, you know, being able to get out and exercise, uh, life, life makes me smile. Uh, And it's the unexpected joys, cat videos, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The micro moments of happiness.
1: Yeah, it, it all does it, man. It all does it.
0: Well, thank you, Scott. I mean, you're making me smile right now. And, you know, I want to extend a thanks for, for making some time to to jam on the show and, and share your insights and your work uh, and all of that. But a, probably a bigger thank you to just being patient with yourself and and going through those multiple decades of working all of these different jobs in this corporate world and in getting to get to the place that you're you're at right now which i can feel and i i imagine the listeners can feel is just that pocket or that sweet spot that was probably identified when you're 13 years old you know first jumping into practice it's really a beautiful uh journey to experience here with you so i'm wishing you all the best
1: thank you so much i appreciate you